you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Matthew, to the 24th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning with the third verse. Says, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things uh, shall be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See, See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All of these are the beginning of sorrow. Let us pray. Will you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning, to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we thank you for each one that you've sent our way and for our church family here this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would just bless them. And Lord, I know there's, there's several that would like to be here this morning that can't be. And Lord, we pray that you would bless them as well. And I pray, Lord, that as uh, you bless this service here this morning, God, that you would just give us hearts to hear, uh, to receive your word, ears to hear what you would say by your spirit here this morning. Lord, uh, you know the need of each one that's here this morning. There is nothing that is hidden from you, nothing that you don't see and that you don't know here this morning. And so, Lord, we just pray this morning that you would have your way and your will here in our midst. Lord, that you would do what only you can do. God, if there's any that have drifted away from you, any that have grown cold, any that are lost and undone, Lord, let today be the day uh, that they would repent and turn to you before it's everlasting too late. God, we do praise you and thank you, Lord, for just being able to gather here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to be here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for today, for each one who has fought and died and bled and sacrificed so that we could have this freedom. But we know that ultimately it comes from you, so we give you all the glory and all the praise, and we thank you so much. And we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally. God, as I've already said, if there's any here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, any who are, who are separated from you, Lord, let today be the day they would turn to you before it's everlasting too late. And Lord, let me ask one more thing of you here this morning. I need your help. Uh, I can't preach without you. Uh, matter of fact, I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So I'm asking that you'd use me one more time here this morning, that you'd preach me again here. God, just give me the words that you'd have me to say here this morning. Lord, help me to just clear my mind of everything but your message, your thought, your words. Lord, strengthen my heart. God, give me uh, what it is that I need, Lord God. I'm praying, Lord, that you would just place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak here this morning. God, in other words, I'm asking that you'd show up and do what only you can do. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory. Lord, I'm asking for your holy unction, for your anointing from on high. 
And Lord, I'm asking for it to spill over onto everyone that's here this morning. So Lord, just have your way and your will, and we'll glorify you, we'll praise you, uh, and we'll sing to you. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. And we ask it all this morning in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I have read this passage of scripture uh, many times. And, and I, what I believe Jesus is telling us is that troublesome times are coming. I, I think he makes that abundantly clear. Uh, there is kind of a sort of parallel passage to this, uh, or similar passage in Mark 13. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you'll remember, I don't know, maybe it's been a year ago. I don't think it's been quite that long ago. Uh, I kind of preached through that pretty thoroughly. Uh, and, so, and so there's a lot of similarities. A lot of the same things were said here. Uh, I, you know, it talks about um, the troublesome times, the perilous times, uh, the things that will come upon us. Uh, you know, it talks about religious things, military things, natural, or what we would call or consider natural disasters. And so the point is, is Jesus is telling us that troublesome times are coming, but we are not to be troubled by them. That's the point that he's making here, right? That all of these things are coming and they are, they are going to cause people uh, anxiety and worry and problems and they're going to trouble the minds of many. But we as, as Christians, uh, uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are not to be troubled by these things. He's telling us that things are going to be a mess and that we're going to have to live through that mess. We're going to have to live through these things, right? We've kind of already hinted at and talked about that some this morning when we talk about our nation and the mess that it is in. But he's saying, don't let it worry you. Don't be bothered by it. Don't be troubled about it. It reminds me of what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when, it, uh, when the scripture tells us in verse 8, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. We will face difficult times. And if you look out, uh, you know, let me say it this way. You may say things are really bad now. Just hold on, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. We will face difficult times in our life. Uh, Not only that, just as we go through life, part of living, right? We will face all kinds of crises. You will face, uh, there will be crises of faith. There will be crises of health. There will be crises in our marriages. There will be crises with our children, right? Crises with our family and with our friends. We'll face crises at work, crises in every day of our life. But there is a way to come through those. There is a way to survive the crisis, the weather, the storm. Dare I even say that there is a way to stay strong through the many crises in life? I chose this, I, every week I choose the scripture for the scripture reading. I chose the scripture reading that Sister Diana read to us this morning for a specific reason. Did you hear and, and, and catch what she said when she read that to us? 
right? Maybe to fill you in if you're not familiar with the events there, but Jesus has fed the 5,000. He has, uh, which of course was a miracle, right? All they had was a sack lunch of a little boy, uh, five fishes, and we're talking like the size of sardines fishes, right? Not big fish, little tiny fish, something that we'd probably use for bait to catch fish. Uh, but anyways, and then uh, or two fishes, five loaves, right? So the five loaves don't think, and I've said this many times, don't think loaves of bread like we go to the grocery store and buy loaves of bread. Think little round cakes of bread, right? So there was five loaves and two of those little fishes, right? Just a little bit of protein there. Uh, you know, probably, a, probably truthfully just a snack for many of us, right? It was a lunch for a small boy. Jesus takes it, blesses it, feeds 5,000 men plus all the women and children, right? So we're talking there could have been 15,000, 20,000 people there all together, right? Uh, something that it would take enough food that we would measure it in truckloads. Uh, in order to feed them. Jesus blesses the food. They feed the 5,000. Twelve baskets uh, left over, right? That's more than what they started with. And then Jesus dismisses the crowd so he can go up in the mountain and pray. To me, dismissing that crowd, especially after that, would have been just as big a miracle as, uh, uh, you know, as the feeding of the 5,000. Because remember, at this point, they're wanting to make him king by force. And so anyways, he dismisses the crowd, goes into the mountain to pray. The disciples get in the boat and head back across the Sea of Galilee. And it tells us, what does it say? It's in the fourth watch. They're still out there and they're rowing. One step forward, two steps back. I guess it's one row forward and two rows back. The wind is blowing against them. The storm has come up against them. They're not making any headway. They're not making any progress. And then here comes Jesus walking on the water. They think at first that it must be a ghost. And then if you'll remember, he calls to Peter, and Peter steps out of the boat, steps on the water, and begins to walk out on the water to Jesus. But then something happens. Verse 30 of what Sister Diana read. When he saw the wind boisterous. When Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Think about that whole thing, there is so much wrapped up in that that we can learn from that. Peter, in a moment of faith, when he sees the Lord, he's affixed upon him. He cry, calls out to him, and the Lord bids him uh, that if he will, to come on, come on out here. You want to walk on the water with me? Come on, Peter. And Peter dies. Now let me ask you something before I go any further. How many of yuns would get out of the boat? <laughs> we criticize Peter for what's getting ready to happen for him sinking, you know. But the truth is, as many of us would never even get out of the boat to begin with. At least Peter got out of the boat. At least he had enough faith to take a couple steps out there onto the water. 
But the scripture, the verse 30 that I just emphasized to you, tells us when he saw the wind boisterous. When he saw. What does that mean? What has he done? He's taken his eyes off of Jesus and he's put it on the storm around him. Right? What, what, is, what is the eyes, what the eyes is fixed on? What does that tell us? What does that symbolize? What, is, what do we learn from that, right? At one point, his focus is, is so focused on Jesus that he sees nothing else. He doesn't see the storms. He don't see anything else. He's not thinking about anything else. He is that focused on Jesus. But the moment, the moment that his focus is diverted and the focus goes off of Jesus, and on to the storms around him. That's when he begins to sing. That's when he begins to sing. Listen to me, church. Same is true for us still today. When our eyes come off of Jesus, that's when we start to sing. When our focus comes off of the Lord, we begin to sing just like Peter did. Right? And, and if you're, when your eyes come off of, uh, whenever your eyes come off the Lord, where do they go to? I mean, yes, I know that all of a sudden he focused on the storm around him, right? And we know that that represents the storms of life. But really, when the, whenever eyes come off the Lord, it goes to self, right? When it start, we start saying things like, what can I do, right? What do I want? Uh, or in Peter's case, what am I experiencing? What am I feeling? What am I uh, going through? What am I suffering, right? Uh, we get to thinking, what is this going to cost me? What will I lose, right? What am I going to have to face? When the focus is on self, all we can see is our own weaknesses, our own inabilities, our own lack of resources. We're no, more, we're no longer looking at the Lord and his abilities and his resources, but we are looking at ourselves, our inabilities, our lack of resources. In that moment, we're not looking on the one who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills in the hills underneath them. We're looking at how bare our bank account is. Right? How limited our resources is. Uh, we're no longer looking at the one who is able to walk on the water, but we're looking at ourselves who's going to sink like a, like a lead uh, anchor, you know? Uh, we're no longer looking at the one who can do all things. And we're looking at ourselves, the one who can do nothing. Right? That's what John 15 tells us. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I don't remember what verse it is, but Jesus there he said without me you can do nothing that's right you know and that's when our focus turns on ourselves so anyways as we look at this and we see that as was mentioned in our scripture reading that he's taking the focus off of the Lord and it's on the storm but it's really on himself and when our focus is on us we will always come up short. We will always sink. We will always come up uh, wanting. We will never have enough faith 
and it will always cost us dearly. I look out across our great land, and as a nation, we've taken our focus off of Jesus. And now, as a nation, we're spiraling out of control in a moral crisis. Did you ever think that we would live in such a time as we do? Did you ever think that you could turn on the television, right? I'm not talking about something, you know, that is x-rated and you have to pay for I'm talking about turn on regular local television and see the things that you see and it's shoved down our throats as, as normal and if we don't accept it as normal then there's something wrong with us we've taken our we've put our focus on the wrong thing in the wrong place we're in a moral crisis and because of this, as a nation, we will, hear me, church, we will face the judgment of God. As a church, we've taken our focus off of Jesus. And we put it on people. And we mean well. And we think and say things like every, one, every, every person is a soul. Oh, and that is very true. That is very true. But people is not our primary focus. That's something that we struggle with. Because our commission, our job is to take the gospel to people, to lost and dying people. But our primary focus is Jesus. Because we've taken our focus off of Jesus and we put it on people, it results in churches at best. Most of our churches are a little farther along than this in the dying stages. But at best, our churches are full of self-centered, self-focused, spiritually immature, whining baby Christians if they are even saved at all, if they're even Christians at all. And because of this, our churches are dying and closing every day. The church is now in a crisis, fighting to keep its head above water in a time where the church no longer even seems relevant. And then as individuals, as individuals, each one of us individually. We've taken our focus off of Jesus and we put it on ourselves. We, do, we have done the same thing that Peter did when he stepped out there on the water. Because of this, because we've taken our focus off the Lord and put it anywhere and everywhere else, our children are dying, lost. Because we're focused on the wrong things, the people that we care the most about are dying and going to a devil's hell. Now, hopefully you agree with me and you see the problem. Can I share with you the solution to all three of these things that I've mentioned here this morning? The problem is actually very simple to correct. Put our focus back on Jesus. Put our focus back on Jesus. And everything that we do, put our focus back on Jesus. I want you to just 
I started to say think with me, maybe dream with me a little bit here this morning. What if we were to put our focus back on Jesus? What would happen? What if Jesus once again become the focus of our preaching? What do you think would happen then, right? If Jesus would become the focus of our preaching again, instead of having our, our, our best life now, uh, things would start to happen again here in the church. Right? But if the preaching of the church is so much about uh, feel good, so much about, you, you know, uh, focusing on ourselves, right? What it is that the Lord can do for us, right? Uh, that's why the health and wealth gospel had gotten so popular at one time. I don't know if it still has the popularity it once did, uh, but it, that's because the focus is on us. If you, you know, the claim in the health and wealth gospel is if you got enough faith, uh, then you'll never get sick again and you'll have all the money uh, that you could ever need or want or whatever. Well, that's baloney. That's not in the Bible. That's not scriptural. Uh, that's not what we're to be focused on. That's not what we're to be preaching about. We're to be preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to be the center of every message. I don't care whether you're preaching out of Genesis chapter 1, Revelation chapter 22, or anywhere in the middle. Christ is the center. He is the focus. What would happen if our ministers would begin to preach like that again? If we would preach the word you realize if you read John chapter 1 that it tells us Jesus is the Word, right? And He become, dwell, uh, become flesh and dwelt among us. What if we began to preach the Word, to preach Jesus Christ again instead of our opinions? How we might actually see things happen in the house of God one more time. What if? What if we would preach the whole counsel of God Instead of just cherry-picking our favorite verses and riding our hobby horses, right? I've heard so many preachers that could be really good preachers if they would just quit cherry-picking their verses and quit riding their hobby horses and start preaching the Word of God, all of it. We might actually see people set free from the bondages of sin. What if? What if the church in this teaching turned one more time and put its focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said to teach all nations. That means everybody. To teach them to observe. Jesus said to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's at the end of Matthew chapter 28. What if we actually did that? I think, in other words, what Jesus is saying is go and teach them what he has taught us. What if we actually really did that? If we would just go back to teaching the Bible, which is entirely focused on Jesus, beginning to end, even the stuff that we like to cut out and we think is boring, that's actually Jennifer's doing a good job teaching through right now, it is all focused on Christ. But instead... We're worried about who might be offended. We're worried about what's relevant. You know, in the last 10, 15 years, I've seen so many churches that advertise, we preach relevant messages. I got news for you. If your message is not relevant, then it's not biblical. It didn't come from the Bible. Because every word, beginning to end, focuses on Christ. It's got a Christ-centered message. And it is relevant for you and for your life and for mine. There is no Bible messages that come out of the Bible that are not 
relevant? I feel so often, though, that's just spoken out of ignorance. You know, if we would just go back and preach the word and teach the word, I believe we would begin to see people living godly lives again, having godly marriages and raising godly children. Wouldn't that be something? If we would just teach every verse of scripture instead of just the ones that fit our agenda, we might actually have a generation of Christians who are, don't stone me, who are biblically literate. You realize that we have an entire generation of Christians, actually it's multiple generations sitting in the pew today, that have been in church all of their life and are biblically illiterate. Shame on you. Shame on us. We can do better. We should have done better. And what a difference it would make if we would do better. What about our worship? What if our worship truly become focused and centered on Christ again? If the purpose of our meeting of us meeting together would once again become focused on Jesus, right through the worship of God in spirit and truth, what do you think would happen? We, I believe we would once again see a generation of people that actually feels the need and sees the importance of publicly coming together and worshiping the Lord together. Do you realize that we have a, we have a whole society, a whole culture, generations of people that do not see the importance and do not see the relevance of doing what we're doing here this morning? You know what else I think would happen if we would begin to put our focus and our worship back on Jesus? We would no longer, no longer would the church be about what I like, what I prefer, and what I can get out of it. And all of us have had those three things I just said. All of us have had those thoughts at one time or another. And when you have those thoughts, you, first of all, you need to rebuke the devil. And second of all, you need to repent. Because it's not about what I prefer, what I like, and what I can get out of it. It's about what I can get. It's about my worship for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our worship should be heartfelt and sincere. Our worship should actually be, now get this, this is radical. Our worship should actually be a sacrifice. A sacrifice, right? I don't mean that you bring some old nasty goat up here or sheep or bull and, and, and offer it on this altar. That's not, uh, that's not, I'm not talking about an animal sacrifice. I'm talking about it ought to cost us something. It ought to cost you something. It ought to cost me something. That would be a sacrifice. We ought to give all that we've got. It ought to cost us some of our time. It ought to cost us some of our energy. Right? It, it should, every fiber of who we are, of all of our being, we should put into it. 
it should be something that is felt by you and everyone around you. What if our worship became like that again? Hey, let me give you another one. What if Christ become the center of our talk? You know, when we talk, <laughs> when we open our mouth and words come out of it, I don't care where you're at, I don't care if you're at church, home, or Walmart, or somewhere at work, or somewhere else, what if Christ was the center of it? What if for just one moment, one day, we stopped talking about ourselves? What kind of difference do you think that would make? What if we, and sometimes we'll do it disguised as, I don't know, righteousness, holy talk or whatever. We'll, we'll even, you know, the holy version of that is we'll talk about what all we've done for God and other people. But still, yet Christ is not the center of our talk. It's us. It's me. I want to talk about myself. What if instead of that, we start talking about Jesus? What if instead of talking about what I did for Jesus, we talk about what Jesus did for me? How radical would that be? What if? I don't know. Do you think we might begin to see people make an impact, have an impact on people? I think we once again start to see people led to the Lord out there in the field. When I say out there in the field, I'm talking about on the street corners, in our, in our homes, in our places of employment, the places where we shop, at our neighbor's houses. What if we would just stop for once? What if we would just stop running each other down? What if we would just stop all the negative talk, actually abide by the old, uh, I don't know, we always say my mom taught me or told me, but the old, you know, if you haven't got anything good to say, don't say anything at all. What if we actually stopped all the negative talk? A lot of times we'll go around and, and we'll go around and we'll badmouth somebody or we'll go around and we'll badmouth the church because we didn't get our way one time. They didn't do exactly what I would do the way that I did it or would have done it. They didn't give me the recognition or the praise or say the right nice things to me or they didn't call me when I thought they should have called me or they didn't, whatever. You know, and it all boils down to the same thing. We didn't get our way one time. So we'll run around and we'll badmouth and we'll all this negative talk out of our mouths. What if? What if we just stop that? Do you think that we might begin to see people come out to the house of God one more time? Wouldn't you like to see the house full? I look out and I look across our congregation. And I, I understand this morning is a is a little bit of an exception. There's a lot of people traveling and sick and everything. But let's just be real. Let's be honest. Things have been sparse for a long time. Wouldn't you like to look out and see the house of God full of people that want to come and worship God together this morning? Wouldn't that be just awesome? You ever stop to think that maybe what we do makes all the difference in the world? I mean, you know, that maybe it's not God's fault, but maybe it's our fault. 
Maybe. Just maybe. I'll say this much. It won't ever happen unless we stop all the bad talk. And talking about our church for a minute, until we stop all the bad talk and start talking like we actually love our church. It won't happen until we do. And let me give you one last thing and I'll be done. What has Jesus become the focus of our lives again? I know I've kind of led up to that and built up to that, but seriously, in, in every regard, in every respect, you see, because when our eyes go off of Jesus and onto ourselves, everything becomes about what I want, what I need, what I deserve, and what I can get. When we do this, do you know what happens? Our marriages go bad. They fall apart. Our careers tank. Our money runs out. Our faith becomes weak. And spiritually, we die. And in other words, crisis pops up everywhere in our lives. So can I tell you this morning, the solution is simple. Did I not say that a while ago? The solution is simple. Do what Peter did. Cry out to God. Maybe you realize this morning that you are sinking. You've taken your focus, your eyes off of the Lord. You put it on yourself and the circumstances in your life, and you are sinking. Do what Peter did. Cry out to God. Lord, save me this morning. Help me. Uh, help me to put my eyes back on you, Lord. Help me put my focus back where it belongs. Uh, uh, will there be difficult times? Yes, of course there will be. But now, instead of sinking, you will be standing, walking with Jesus again on the water. Did Peter not walk on the water back into the boat? And before you know it, just like they, them, and they were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, on the other side of the lake, before you know it, you'll be on the other side too. So I'm begging you, church, this morning, could we put our eyes back on the Lord? Could we put our focus back on Him? It'll make all the difference. I promise you it will. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, drawing you here this morning, would you come? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come? Don't you dare sit back there and worry what other people might think. It doesn't matter what other people think. It only matters what God thinks. So take your focus off of yourself. When you're sitting there worrying, other people might think that I'm lost. Other people might think that I'm having you know, problems in my marriage or in my life or something like that. You have got your focus off of Jesus and on yourself when you're taking those and saying those things. I'm begging you, stop it. Stop it. The only thing that matters is what the Lord thinks. So if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come this morning? Spirit of God drawing you, dealing with your heart, would you come this morning? You've got a heavy burden for somebody on your heart this morning. Please, please come. Come now before it's everlasting too late. Come.